was thinking while we were singing, uh, which song were we singing? It was a song that talks about open wide, you heavenly gates. Um, and then the song after that was, I don't know if you timed that or what. I never, I, I'm, I'm new to this stuff as you guys. First service, the first time I know what's going to happen before I stand up. So, you know, it's all new to me too. So, but, uh, and that just shows how incredibly our planning meetings are. <laughs> Tim and I about five minutes every six weeks. Um, but, no, 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 we do. But the, uh, that, that song you guys chose are together, those two together, kind of give you a glimpse. And the, the thing that came to my mind was like this, this heavenly gate that's just kind of waiting to burst forth and come out and just, when it does, when it does burst forth and the things now that by faith we see, that by sight we will see, will rival any rock concert or any, any I mean, it just will be, yeah. And there was a group of people during that song. It's like you guys all got together and went, woohoo, at that one point. I thought, you know, even us Norwegian types, that it's, it took me, you know, 10 years of my Christian experience to kind of raise a hand. I, first time I saw it, I thought somebody had a question. That's got a <laughs> There's a brother with two questions, you know. Um, but when that happens, man, when that thing goes boom, the reality of that thing that we now just see by faith, the reality of that thing will be so incredible. The only response, I think, will be song. I mean, whether you like to sing or not, now you will like to then. And it is just going to rock. Uh, or if you like classical, it's going to all be in the right key or whatever. I mean, it's... <laughs> Whatever your thing is, that's going to be your thing. And, and uh, so, uh, so thank you, band. I, I, I would like you guys help me to see that week in and week out. And, and uh, maybe I'm just an old metalhead, but uh, I like it loud. So I love sitting down front where I get all the stage noise. I love stage noise. I'm a groupie. I'm with the band, you know, kind of guy. Well, I was talking about this where, where there's this... There's this the gates are bursting and ready to bust and we're going to see things as they really are. When Jesus Christ came to earth the first time, that was a radical shift for them. The age that we live in right now and the amount of the Spirit of God that resides in you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ would feel similar to the busting experience that's going to happen to us. That difference would feel the same before Jesus came as to now. Did you follow all that? Did that make sense? I'm not even sure that made sense to me. But what I'm saying is if you were around before Jesus, and when Jesus, that timeline, when he came on the scene, when he went back up to the Father and the Holy Spirit came down, that power source that we have now for living that happens in your life was way more than they had before. It's not done. It's not done. Oh, baby, it's not done. It's coming greater. The, the analogy I like to use, it's like a flood. Uh, excuse me, a, a floodgate on a dam. And that you always, have the, you always have the gates open a little bit. So in the Old Testament, the gate was open. Sure, the Spirit of God was residing, doing things. But at Pentecost, the floodgates open up. And all of a sudden, you get, you get this water just pouring out of there. But when the doors come out, you whip out the dam. And then, ooh, cool. Then, I thought maybe it was happening. I was like, oh, um, woof. It's just going to come. So be excited with what we got, but, but be more excited for what's coming. That's really going to be cool. When Jesus Christ came on the scene, and that's what we're studying as a church right now, 
John, the book of John, when he came on, those floodgates opened. And what we're going to look at today is how some of the first people that Jesus encountered, some of those first people, how did they respond to this, this new floodgate that had happened? So if you've got your Bibles with you, open it up to John chapter 1. We have little booklets around. I hope they're still around. We've got to keep throwing them out in the pews there. Sorry if they're not around. If you want one of those, just take one. We'll be in the Gospel of John here. Um, probably in this chunk of the Gospel of John. I did have it all figured out in the last four weeks. We've kind of been, we diverted to town with a uh, church issue. But, uh, so I think that puts us a month back. And I think we're going to be in this chunk of the Gospel of John, which we're now calling, Who Do You Say That I Am? We're in the second major portion of John. I think it really flows to three main chunks. You could divide it up, I'm sure, more. But there's three major chunks. The first one is the first 18 verses, kind of the introduction. The prologue, as a lot of people call it. We spent 10 weeks just on that. And then now we're going to be moving at a pretty good clip, just one kind of big chunk of scripture at a time. If you have one of those, um, uh, those booklets, those New International Version, it's that version of the Bible. Every one of those little headings, pretty much that's how we're going to be breaking this up uh, per week, going through what's happening in the life of Christ. And this section, he's just going to keep seeing more and more people, and they're going to be responding to him in new and different ways, constantly answering the question, who are you, Jesus? Who really are you? We're going to see that today. Who really are you? And so that's what this whole section is about. And then the last section is the rest of the book of John, from From the end of chapter 12, so the beginning of chapter 13 through 21, right? 21? End of the Gospel of John? 22. 21? 21. 21. Thank you. I should know that, but we're not there. I'll know it when we're there, um, that we're done. That is, that's the last week of Jesus' life. Half of the Gospel of John is just that last week of his earthly life. And so right now... We have been uh, looking at this section of Jesus just getting started on the scene. And if you have that, if you have your Bible open to John chapter 1, and I do now, if you look, what we're going to be looking at is this first week from John chapter 1, verse 19, all the way through uh, the the account in John chapter 2, where he changes water into wine, which goes through uh, verse 11 of chapter 2. It's the first week of Jesus' public ministry. Okay, and here's where you get that. Just for sake of clarity, I have no idea what day of the week this was, but I'm just going to start with Monday, okay, because it'll make sense in just a minute. All right, so the first day was Monday, uh, verses uh, 19 to 28. That's one, that's the first day, and that's the point where John the Baptist uh, was on the scene. You remember John the Baptist? He looks kind of like this guy right here, remember? (laughs) I think so. I think he spoke with an Irish rogue, too. <laughs> Don't you? So you see the scene, this next one, where he's, this is the scene we showed there. He's preaching to the, the multitudes there. there and, you know, who knows? Uh, uh, certainly this wasn't the way it was because color wasn't invented until 1964. But the, the that's a joke for the older people in the crowd. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but there he's preaching. You know, he's got the finger up. And I think John would have been a finger pointer. I'm not into finger pointing. John the Baptist, I think, would have been a good one at it. If you look what he, here's what we saw that John the Baptist said. Remember that? We looked at who this nut was out in the wilderness. And he was just kind of this crazy nut. He, he said, 
in Luke chapter 3, he said, He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as is written in the book of the words of the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Skip down to verse 7 here. Then John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, and this is my interpretation, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God could raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now if a guy preaches you, thank you, thank you. Now if a guy preaches like that in an Irish accent, you either stone him or you repent, right? <laughs> and if he looked like Gimli and he's wearing the full armor, he's got the sword thing, you repent, right? What's the option? So I think, I think that's, well, I don't know if Irish accents are around then or not, but it would have been fun. Okay, so that's, that's what's happening. And this, what we see in chapter 1, I'm going to just kind of review. It's been a few weeks since we went through. Chapter 1, 19 through on is John is becoming a rock star. He is. These people are coming all, all around the places. They're not only listening to him, they're getting baptized by him. Oh my goodness, this is a bad thing for a Jewish person to go through baptism is for John to be saying to them, you're, a dirty, you're as dirty as a, a non-Jew, a Gentile. Ooh. And when all these religious re leaders saw that, they were going like, whoa, what is going on? John is becoming Bono. And so... <laughs> So what he said, what happens is they send this group, this delegation out to him saying, who are you? And that's where John answers. He says, I'm just the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, make straight paths for the way of the Lord. In other words, hey, you think I'm big? I am the pregame. I am the warm-up band. Okay? So that's what happens in that first section. The second section that we looked at uh, five weeks ago, verses 29, that, see the first words there? The next day. So we'll call that Tuesday. That's Tuesday of that week. The next day, John's baptizing. He sees Jesus, and when he sees him, the first thing he says is, look, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. And if you remember the, the, uh, what that alludes to, that alludes to an Old Testament passage, primarily what happened with Abraham and Isaac. Remember we talked about that? Isaac is going to be sacrificed. Abraham, God tells him, go to this mountaintop and kill your only son. Sacrifice him to me. God, or Abraham says, okay. Early in the morning, gets up, goes out to do it. He's got the knife in his hand. You can just see it. He's getting ready to plunge it in. Perhaps even the, 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 that's two services. I've hit this thing. Jeez. If you keep hitting it, it's really annoying, isn't it? Uh, he's got the, he's got the, the, the knife. You can just, you know, it's just ready to cut. And the angel says, don't do it. Don't do it. Stop. And provides another, a substitute, a ram as a substitute for, for Isaac. And that's the whole concept here throughout the Bible. The lamb is a substitute. It's a, it's a sacrifice. It's a, the lamb didn't do anything. It's, sacrifice, it's a sacrificial thing for you. And so when Jesus is being referred to by John the Baptist as the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, he's saying, look, there it is. There's, I'm the pregame. There is the game. Turn to him. 
And then we come to this week, we won't talk much about it but yet, because uh, we'll get to it, but verse 35 says, the next day, which brings us to Wednesday, and if you keep following this all the way through chapter 2, you can see it says on the third, uh, let me just, I'll do it real quick, uh, 35 says the next day, we have to be a little bit tricky to find, let's see, that's Wednesday, you have to be a little tricky to find Thursday, Thursday is going to be in chap, uh, verse 40, you'll see that today once we do the timeline thing, and then Friday is verse 43 through 51. End of that chapter. Then there's no word about Saturday. Saturday, that would, it would make sense if that was a Sabbath. They would kind of hang out and just do nothing. And there was nothing really to write about. And then on Sunday, Jesus goes to this, this wedding feast. Which, we're going to find out about weddings when we talk about that in a few weeks. That weddings were not just, you know, I went to the wedding, which means it was like a week long. It's not just like, I went to the wedding. You know, this actual ceremony. It was like this huge, huge deal. So, the first word there is on the third day. So, third day from what? Right? Third day from two days ago? Or why? Why do you say third day? And the reason is that's the way they talked. And it's the way often, if you ever thought about this, where Jesus says, on the third day I'll rise. Wait a minute. He was crucified Friday afternoon. And he was raised Sunday morning. That's not even 48 hours. You ever think about that? Wait a minute. How could that be a third day? Three days later, I'll rise. It's just not, it's the way we don't, they didn't do that. That's not the way they did it. The first day was the day. It doesn't matter what happened. It could be right before midnight. That was the first day. Second day, he was in the tomb. Third day, he rose. Same thing here. If you count it, Friday, he does all this stuff. Saturday, we don't hear anything about it. So we can't say in the next day, it's the third day. But it's the third day only from the first day, which was the last day we talked about. So it's probably just one day. Yeah, it'll all be in charts on the internet later. You can, you can figure it all out. Okay. This week, this week, you got a special treat. We are going to cover, no, really. You ready? Two of those days. No, really, two days. Wednesday and Thursday. We're going to cover Wednesday and 30, 35 to 42. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just go through this passage with you and I, all I want to basically do is let you smell the air, try to feel some of the things they're feeling. We're going to pause on a question that Jesus asks and, and, and address that question to us because I think John, the Gospel of John, is a master at asking questions of people but that question was really meant to go, wah! So it'd be like, uh, it'd be like me saying, um, Rob, what time is it? And then I'm not really asking. That's a horrible question. Uh, I got a better one. Rob, can I have all your money? All right. Then, instead of just asking Rob, I'm really asking all of you. Okay, that didn't land either. But you know what I'm trying to say. John does that. He, when he's asking these things in, in the book of John, you kind of get the, you, it lands right with us as a reader. He's, he does that more than any other gospel writer. We're going to see that over and over and over through the gospel of John. And so when we do that, we're going to land on one of those questions that Jesus asked that's just an amazing question. It's an amazing question. We'll get there. Okay, so let's just kind of go through this a little bit at a time. First, we're going to start with the first two verses and take a look at this. John 1, 35 and 36. You can go to the next one. There you go. Um, it says, the next day, this brings us to uh, Wednesday now. The next day, John was there. That's John the Baptist. John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, let's just pause it just for a second. Remember, John is a rock star. His ministry is at the pinnacle of its success. He's got a huge following. So you've got to keep that in mind. He's got such a huge following that not only does John have large crowds when he preaches, but he's got people who are responding to him. 
But not only that, he's also got people who are treating him as a rabbi. Now, you got to understand a little bit about rabbis. What rabbis would do is they were, they do public ministry, but the most important thing they did was disciple young men. And so what, what you would do is if you were a rabbi, you'd come up to people and you would choose which students you wanted. And the words you would say to that student were you'd come right up to them and you'd say, Nate, follow me. And Nate would then would follow him. From that point on, he'd be, he'd be my apprentice. If I had chosen, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of people to choose from. That's what, you know, when Jesus says those words, follow me, that's what he's talking about. He's saying, follow me. Like that. Like a, like a young student would follow a rabbi. And there's even a phrase that says, may the dust of your rabbi be upon your, your garment. In other words, you followed him so closely that as he walked, you walked right behind. They really did. They literally did walk right behind them, just in his footprints almost, one step behind. And the dust, you hope that you are following him so closely that the dust would be all over your garment of where he's walking. Now that's, that's who this guy is. John is a big shot. And people today, it's no different. Ministry, people, I, I know very few people that go into this for anything but good reasons. But man, it can become about you. How big is your church? How, what, what kind of building do you have? How much money are you raising? It can vary. I talk to young pastors all the time. I help a lot of young pastors start churches. And I meet them and they say things like, yes, we had 300 people on our opening Sunday, our first Sunday of our new church. And I like to put the fear of God in them. Like I told you, I, I, I like to say, uh, you know, you're responsible for 300 people now before God. Dude, I, I have a family of five, okay? One of them takes very good care of herself. I'll let you figure out which one that is. <laughs> and actually, she probably does all. But anyway, I have, there, there are just three more boys to manage. And, and as far as kids go, they're, they're relatively simple kids. Roll or two of duct tape a week is all, all I need. They're, they're, it's pretty simple. But it's still almost unbearably to, to manage that. It's incredible. It's an incredible burden. And so, but I don't know what it is. Pastors, man, they're just they're, the, the rock star thing. I'm, I'm crowds and money and it just becomes all about them. John here is like that. He's so big now. He's got two of his own disciples with him. And he's out doing the disciple thing. Follow me. He's right behind me, showing him everything. Hey, follow me. You're going to be just as big of a guy. John wasn't saying that, but some of the disciples might have thought that. And look what he says next to them. He says, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. He says that to the two guys who are with him. Look, the Lamb of God. Now we're going to find out in just a second that what that was was an invitation to say, you're done with me. Follow him. Isn't that amazing? You know what? This isn't about me. I'm just a pointer to the king, and guess what? There's the king. Look what happens. His, those, those two guys in verse 37, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. That was a change of plans, huge change of plans, and it took a big man in John to say, go after him. Look, the Lamb of God. That's just not a preaching point, guys, that I'm telling everybody else. Guess what? I want you to follow him too. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now again, that word follow doesn't mean Jesus walking around and they're kind of following him, like stalking him or something. No, it means that they had changed allegiances 
from John to Jesus. When they had heard him say this, they followed Jesus. But they never told Jesus. You can see this in the next passage. Verse 38, first half of it. Turning around, I don't know how close these guys were walking behind, so he stops quick, boom, boom, they bump into each other. And he turns around. Jesus saw them following and asked a great question. What do you want? <laughs> or literally, if you have, a, if you have a, a, a more literal translation of the Bible in front of you, it literally says, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? Now, let's just stop and think about this. Put this in perspective here. Here's John the Baptist. He's on the scene. He's pointing to the king. The king shows up. You're the Lamb of God. John tells his disciples, he's the Lamb of God. Go after him. Follow him. Here's these guys behind him. Jesus turns around. He should just say, well, take a number. You know, I got a few guys I want to follow. I'll decide later. Or I can see that you, I mean, it's very apparent. It's very obvious what they're trying to do. But Jesus doesn't do that. He wants them to verbalize, what do you want? What do you really, really want here? And I think that's one of the most important questions you can ask yourself. What do you want? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What is it, get rid of all the layers of the onion, or chocolate cake if you're like donkey. Ah, sorry. I'll get all the layers of the onion. A little Shrek joke there. And what is there at the bottom of the onion? What do you really want when it comes down to the heart of the matter? Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. If you're ever getting counsel from someone or counseling and you're trying to figure out, your, you're charting your course, a person will draw you out to say, well, that's really what you want here. You don't really want this. You, what you really want is this. Let me give you an example. A person makes it a goal. They get out, of, get out of college and say, what I make my goal to be is I want to be the president of 3M, the, the CEO of 3M Corporation. That's my ultimate goal. And so they work their whole life, and they keep going. They, they backstab, and they do all kinds of possible things, embezzle, whatever it takes they're going to do to get to be the CEO of 3M. And they get it, and then they stop and say, well, why did I want this again? Who did I turn out to be here? Why am I on my fourth marriage? Why do my kids not speak to me? What do you really want? You don't really want that job. You want something else. Someone should have saved that. No, I think the president of 3M is a really good guy. I'm not, I just picked them because they like scotch tape or something. But the, the, the point is, what do, you, what do you really want? Don't just satisfy for the simple. Oh, I really want a house and, and 3.6 kids or whatever. Do you really want that? Is that really what you want? Because when you get it, you'll go, that doesn't satisfy. Because I don't know what I really want. I thought that was it. That's not it. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about this. He says, now we know that if the earthly tent, he's talking about our body, we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, before we get there, meanwhile, we groan. Why? Because I'm in touch with what I really want. My longings, the stuff that really bottom line what I really want. He says, I groan now, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 
Paul's basically saying, what I really want to do, everything in my body, I'm created by God, designed by him to want to live life, and there's something about living in this life that doesn't satisfy it. What I really want is the life that I was created for. And, and while I'm here, it's good and all, but it's a foretaste. It's an hors d'oeuvre of the real steak that I want. It's coming. That's what I want. And so Paul sets his course that way. Psalm 73, there's a guy by the name of Asaph, and he got mixed up for a little bit on this. Listen to him. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So in other words, what he said was, what I made it as my goal is, is that what I want to be is prosperous and carefree in this life. That's what I want. That's my goal. That's what I really want, I think. And when he sees people who are getting that, and yet they're not walking with God, they're doing all kinds of wicked things, and they're being prosperous and living a carefree life, it's like, what is up? They have no struggles, verse 4. Their bodies are always healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their mind know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Now, he's looking at this and saying, all these, they do all this wicked, and yet they're, they're carefree. They, uh, they're, their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? So they're, they're not in any kind of relationship with God, and yet they have this, all this stuff, and they're doing well. This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. So he's, you see the struggle? He says, what? That's what I really want, and I don't get it. And, and I'm walking with God. I mean, it says in vain that I've done this. These are the people, they don't care at all. And they, they, everything they do works right. Verse 16 is when I try to understand all this, it is oppressive to me. And then verse 17 answers it. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Wait a minute, that's not really what I want. There's something in life more than stuff. I want that. And they're not going to get that. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As, as a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, will you despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me into glory. And here he nails what, here's what I really want. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion. That's all I'm getting in this life is this portion. He's my portion. It's enough. If I don't get to be prosperous in this life. It's enough. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. I love the Psalms because they're so raw. Here's a guy laying it all down and saying, I wrestled with these people who are wealthy. 
I want that. But what I really want, God, is you. I really want God. And if that's a trap, if wealth is a trap that will keep me from you, then I don't want it. Even though, even though there's a layer in the onion that says I do, deeper down, I don't if it will keep me from that. Blaise Pascal, the famous mathematician, said there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus. In other words, what he's saying, to mix the metaphor up a little bit from the, what the song was about, if you think of a shadow being cast from a mighty mountain, a mighty mountain, and there's this shadow, you can spend all your time basking in the shadow and saying, my, that's a beautiful shadow, and you're looking at the shadow, and you never take the time to turn around and go, oh, wow, that's what's casting the shadow. Because the shadow's cool. Shadow is cool. But the mountain's cooler. That's what, they, that's what Jesus asked them. What do you really want? What are you seeking? It's a great question to start in the beginning of their relationship. Look at their answer. I love their answer. It doesn't make sense to you think about it, but it's a great answer. Verse 38, the second half, says, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, or really means more than that, means respected and honored teacher. Okay? Where are you staying? Now, <laughs> I know it sounds like, okay, where'd you get that from? What is that about? I'm over at the Motel 6. I asked you a question. What do you really want? And he says, where are you staying? That's not what the question was asking in an embarrassed and indirect way was, can we go over to your house and play? <laughs> that's what it's saying. Because that's what he's asking. Can Johnny come over? Can I come over to your place? See, it's not even come to my place. You're asking, can we go to your house? That's pretty intimate. It's a pretty big question. Where are you staying? And it's a little indirect. Look at how Jesus answered that. And, and so it's, what, what do you want? We want to hang out with you, and we want to do it at your house. That's how intimate we want to be. That's what we really want. That's how I want to hang out with you. Look at Jesus' answer. You see him have a big smile on his face when he says that. Not only going to tell you where I live, he says, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. But that's not what they really cared about. Oh, nice room. Yeah, good. Nice desk. Very nice. Oh, very nice bed. Nice, firm. Mm-hmm. Good. They saw it. But then the next part. And spent that day with him. That's what they wanted. They wanted to spend the day with him. And then it says it was about the 10th hour. Now here's where you got to do the math. In the Jewish system, and I'm making an assumption that John is following the Jewish system because he was a Jew, uh, that the zero hour was 6 a.m. In other words, when the sun came up, that was the start of a new day. So that's 6 a.m. If you do the math, 10 hours from that would be 4 p.m. Is that right? 6 plus, yeah, 4. 10, or excuse me, 4 in the afternoon. So if you traveled, and it was always a travel to go where people stayed, it was 4 o'clock, you got dinner, so they got dinner out of the deal, and it's too late. It's very unsafe to travel after dark. They got 
to sleep over at Jesus' house. Seriously, that's awesome. I was, uh, this, this week, I, I did some plumbing on my house and uh, with the help of someone who knows what they're doing. And um, or maybe I helped them, or I don't know how it goes, but uh, Seth Prince and I did, did plumbing at our house. And we started at 7 a.m. on Friday morning. And we ended at 4 a.m. on Saturday morning. So, yeah, that's a huge chunk of time. And uh, if you don't flush any of the toilets at my house, uh, that, no, it works great. Uh, and then after that, it was kind of funny because he was talking to Jeannie on his wife and, uh, at about 2 o'clock in the morning and saying, yeah, I haven't, I'm sitting standing right next to him. He says, I haven't asked Steve, but I'm probably just going to crash over here. And I thought, we could, I could have a sleepover buddy, you know. <laughs> all my friends, all my kids, I was, they always get to have sleepover buddies. I never get to have sleepover buddies. And it's like, oh boy, oh boy, I'll get some popcorn. And, it's four in the morning, you know. <laughs> um, you get that chance to sleep over. You know what it was the first time you were a kid and you slept over someone else's house? There's something, there's some boundary that's broken. There's some boundary broken when you go into someone's, their house to hang with them. But when you sleep over, it's like, okay, we're chums here for life, right? I mean, I'm eating your oatmeal the next morning. This is cool. I got your bedroom slippers on and the whole thing. I used, it's so unexpected I had to use your toothbrush and all that. <laughs> what happens the next day? Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him, we found the Messiah. That is the Christ and he brought him to Jesus. You know, we're going to, see, we're going to meet Andrew three times in the Gospel of John. And all three times. He doesn't say much. He's never known for his being a big shot. He just brings people to Jesus. Just here. Here. I don't know. I'll just meet this other guy. It's, I like Andrew loves to do it. First he starts with his bro. He says, let me bring him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. That's Simon Peter. Um, and he says, you are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas. At that point, he became, his name was Simon. His name became Simon uh, Peter. Peter is the Greek way of saying it. And, and that's a, it's a double meaning. Peter is a name, but Petros means rock. And so you're going to become a rock. Cephas means rock in either Aramaic or Hebrew. And so he, when it's translated, it's, it's into Peter. What's the natural outcome of spending time and hanging out with Jesus you don't have to take classes on evangelism. You don't have to be astute at all the aspects of theology. Andrew had just spent one night with Jesus, and he just says, I, I, I don't know, Peter. You just got to meet this guy. You just got to meet this guy. Some of you got invited here this morning by someone who says, I, I, I really don't know a whole lot here, but I, what I do know is Jesus is cool, and I just want you to meet him. And you might be here this morning. Someone invited you, just came here and said, I, I'm, I'm like Peter. And we're not going to give you a new name or anything like that. You can stay with your old one. But that's the thing. You don't, don't, have, to, you don't have to get training on how to do all this. Sure, you can get training on what are some helpful things to help people understand more about the Bible and all that kind of thing. But just bring people to Jesus. That's all, that's all he does. So I close this morning. I want to ask you the same big question that the ultimate rabbi turned and asked the new followers. What do you really want? What is it right now in your life that you're seeking 
And as you're walking, and when Jesus turns around and abruptly asks you, what do you really want? How do you answer that question? What do you say to him? Do you answer like Asaph before he went to the temple and saying, what I really want is I want wealth. I just need wealth. I don't have a problem with wealth. You want to be wealthy? Be wealthy. Good for you. Some dude in, what is it, Iowa? Is it Iowa 365 mil? Or where were, who won the Powerball? What state? Nebraska? They can count that high in Nebraska? Um, uh, anyway. Um, you know what the N on the helmet stands for in Nebraska? Yeah. Knowledge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, be wealthy. Don't, just, don't, just don't get that to be, make you satisfied. Because it won't. Or, or whatever. What do you really, really want? Let's pray. God, the answer by the way we're designed by our creator is that every one of us, whether we admit it or not, whether we're in touch with it right this morning or not, is what we really, really, really want is to see you and to feel you and to know you and to hang out with you and to sleep over at your house and have that intimate of a knowledge and a friendship with the one who made us. If that's not wooing, I don't know what is. I love your answer to them. Come. I'll show you. Just follow me and we'll go there. Lord, we have the opportunity to hang out with you even this week. We have the opportunity to get to know you better. And Lord, I pray as we take those baby steps of faith and come towards you that you would pursue us and draw us into your heart. I can just see you doing that with a smile on your face, saying, I can't wait. I want you to, to know me better. I pray for that, God. Whether it's for people in this room, maybe for the first time in their lives, they're realizing that they could have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that he bore their sins upon the cross, that there no longer is a barrier between them and you. And so this morning they can say, Jesus Christ, I want you as my Savior. I want to start a relationship with you. And right here in this room, they could start that relationship by accepting you as Savior. And Lord, for, for everyone else here, who maybe we've walked behind you for years, and then we're, as we're walking, we just get, our eyes get caught up in, in window shopping, and before we know it, we can't even see you, you're so far away. Lord, that, turn Help us turn from those things that are, are good and, and, and things that you've given for our enjoyment, but not for worship. And so that we can get right back and find you. Maybe you're a dot in the distance this morning for some of us. We pray we'd pursue after you. And I know as we take a couple steps towards you, you are running back to us. So God, do that this morning. Make yourself our treasure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.